three, two, one, and welcome back. So in this podcast, actually, I'm going to start off on a pretty fun, cool note. Um, earlier in the day, I was DM'd a, uh, by somebody on Instagram with a bunch of really awesome uh, ideas for the podcast and some great questions as well. So um, in this episode, or the yeah, I guess this episode of the SBH podcast, uh, we're going to be going over this question leading into exactly what it is. <laughs> um, as um, So his question was, among other things, and he said a lot of great, um, awesome, really nice stuff, which is super cool, and, I, and you'll know who you are. Um, uh, one of the things I struggle with the most is ruling out uh, a spot as being productive when in reality the spot produces. Um, and so how do you get over that? So what he's asking is, uh, like, how do you figure out a spot? Uh, and I've gone over this before, how do you figure out a spot? But, like, how do you figure out if a spot is productive or not? And then how do you do that efficiently enough to then move on and try to figure out another, a, like, productive place to fish uh and this is uh this is really cool because uh he had a lot of other really awesome stuff and i'll probably get into that in different podcasts but uh for this question um pretty much was why what was holding me back the most um in my personal fishing um and that is really just have like spending too much time on unproductive water really held me back. Uh, and he was saying a little bit flipped. He was saying, like, how do I know, or like, I'm not catching stuff in a, in a place, but in reality, it's actually a very productive spot. So, um, and that's, and that's you know, and I guess it goes hand in hand. And I've gone over this, but I really, I can go in depth on this uh, in general and how to really key in on a spot and really pick it apart and know whether it's going to be really productive or not. So uh, I'm going to go into like, yeah, anyway. So the cool thing is uh, about when you're learning how to fish and fishing is you get to a point in your progression that you want to be able to catch bigger fish and you start looking at, and you and like I did and what a lot of people do and what they and if you're not what you should be doing is going online and looking up stuff and exploring on the internet uh because that's the best way to improve in this day and age in striped bass fishing and that's what got me to where i am today and through trial and error over multiple seasons uh some way more productive than others uh i was able to get to the spot where i've caught multiple 40 pound bass in the past season that uh you know, very consistently on a, in being able to do that, not only in one spot, but in various spots and very various conditions as well. So that's very difficult to do. And I'm still learning and there's certain places that I don't feel as comfortable fishing. Uh, for instance, I don't feel as comfortable fishing sandy beaches or estuaries, but, uh, I, I, I'm going to focus this next season on the exploration of more new water and try to figure out 
and piece together how to catch bigger fish in those different bodies of water to what I'm used to because I fish mostly rocks uh, um, and off the rocks, you know, and that's it's probably the most, it's probably the toughest fishing in general physically because, you know, it's dan- it's probably the most dangerous and toughest fishing fishing physically because you can really injure yourself on the rocks and you can get hit by waves and uh, it, it can be bad where when you're walking a sandy beach, there can be waves. It's generally not that slippery. And when you're fishing in estuaries, there's no waves, but it is a little bit slippery. So you still got to be worried about that. But still, in my personal fishing, I need to start trying to figure out a way to, uh, you know, fish these different locations better, which is going to help me uh, talk more depth and relearning different spots. Because I'm by no means... I, I, I'm someone that has, is well studied on the striped bass fishery and I've, and, um, I, I've been fairly successful in the past year, but I wouldn't call myself, uh, an excellent fisherman by any means. I'm very good at one specific part of fishing. Uh, and that's what I've kind of just worked from. Uh, and so when I'm trying to do like, when I'm talking about fishing this is all personal experience that may not be as long as somebody that's been fishing for 50 years but it's been working in the newer fishery because a lot of the people that have been fishing for 50 years have had a hard time the last handful of years catching a lot of big fish not saying that there aren't people that have been fishing for 50 years and outfish me every single night because that is 100 percent correct but in certain scenarios i've done pretty well so uh when uh really I guess it comes down to when is the best time to fish uh and then which I've talked about a lot you know um and even in the last podcast I talked about fishing you know in the mornings and at night uh or in the evenings in the mornings um and then also fishing at night obviously is the best time to fish so but if you're exploring a new area as I've talked about in other podcasts always do it during the day um, or, you know, even in the morning, I mean, it's a great time to explore uh, and try to really pick it apart as far as like what structure are you looking at, whether it be sandy beach with a drop off, a trough, a, like a sandbar, rocky point. Like if you're fishing off the rocks, you're looking at rocky points, bays, coves, uh, current. Uh, you can look at current for sandy beach as well. Um, and estuaries, you're looking at a lot of current and then little rip lines and uh, so it's so there's so many different things that you can look at uh, from a perspective of structure and how to best place yourself in a spot to succeed, uh, and th- that's something that uh, it takes a lot of time to do. But then it comes almost as like a feeling, like you feel like this is a good spot. You can't really explain why it is, but you know that like depending on which way the water's flowing, how your lure's working. Um, and it kind of gets to be like a, a sixth sense whether or not you're in the right spot fishing the right water. Um, and you can kind of tell that, uh, but there has been times where I've been fishing for forever, you know, for hours and hours and caught one fish. And that one fish is giant, but it's so rare that that happens. Most of the time you fish in a spot and you get, you know, pretty consistent action and then you'll get like a one big fish uh, either at the beginning or the end of that session. Um, and I've told the story where I was fishing, uh, it was the first big fish I ever hooked. I was getting consistent action with small schooly bass, 
probably 15 to 20 inches uh, before at the very end, the bite started to die off. I was about to leave and I hooked the, a bigger 30 pound bass. So, um, so that's like, there's those different uh, bites that you have to like key in on. But really what I would say is if you're getting consistent action from schooly sized fish, there's certain things that you can do to at that point um, rule that it could be a productive spot. So if you're just going for, okay, I want to catch uh, bass consistently, period, then that's a whole different story as far as what you're looking for. If you're looking for, I want to catch large bass, then you want to look for, am I catching fish consistently in this spot? And then you want to look at, okay, at what time of the tides am I consistently catching fish in that spot? Now, I would definitely not rule out slack tides on both sides. Um, I've caught some of my biggest fish at dead low tide. Uh, and I, in, in that's just like this past season, my biggest fish of the entire season came at dead low tide. So you're in, in, I was getting consistent action from 28 inch bass, uh, on eels. And then I hooked into one that was over 45 pounds. So, uh, it, it just shows that the, the fish can really, uh, at most, most of the time they're there. It's just a matter of presenting something to them and not the, you know, 15 other hungry mouth, mouths of schooly bass that are going to be darting at anything that they can fit in their mouth and attacking it. So uh, that's sometimes super difficult to, to get through. But Really what you want to do is you want to look at your spot and say, okay, what tides am I catching fish? And this is going to take, and I, I'm going to talk about like how much time you actually have to put in to really figure out and either say this is a good spot and productive or this spot is ruled out. This is not catching fish. Um, and you can kind of tell when it's going to be a really good spot if you start catching big fish there. Um, and then it's all about dialing in the perfect time to fish that spot. Uh, and I've had many time, I've had a lot of, a lot of time, uh, the bass that, uh, you, you catch can be, can throw you off right at the beginning. So I've, there's one spot that I fished that, um, I'm just trying to formulate exactly because it was very interesting because there's one spot that I caught a fish at and I spent the beginning part of the season and the bass was, a bigger fish. I was getting, I probably got three fish over 35 inches in that spot in about a three week span a time of time. And then, uh, I, I fished that spot to death, uh, in the same stretch of rocks, but was not being quite as productive because when I caught that fish, it was in the spring and it turned out that that same spot just at a different tide was way more productive and I was thrown off by the fact that I caught fish in a non-productive time but I don't really want to cloud your judgment from that because it's a very rare scenario that that happens but that that does happen in spring and fall where you'll catch fish in certain areas that later in the season won't be as productive so uh, when you're trying to narrow down your spots uh, you pretty much want to start trying to catch bass you know consistently in that spot in the spring all the way through and you'll probably start slowing down once you hit July. 
uh, that's when it gets really slow as far as not being able to catch fish off of, I would say, perfect conditions, whether that be wind and tide perfect conditions, and then bringing in like the moon phase can will definitely affect whether or not you're going to be getting good uh, a good bite. So um, when when you're looking at like a, a at tides, I literally I would fish every single condition in every single part of the tide. So in a spot, and this might sound crazy to you, but I wouldn't do that unless I started catching fish there consistently uh, in general. So if I'm fishing a spot uh, and I'm catching bass between, let's just say in the spring, this is literally what happened to me in one spot. It was pretty stormy in uh, the spring of 2019 as far as like the for us in Cape Ann. It was a pretty stormy spring. So there was a lot of bigger wave action for a lot of the like early May for us and um i was fishing a, a white bucktail it was like a ounce and a half white bucktail and i had this one spot which later in the year i caught countless bass over 30 pounds from that exact spot but so this is the bite and this is actually a spot that i figured out last year and like that was it like that was one of the spots that produced very very heavily during a specific high tide and so i fished that one spot uh, very, very hard um, in the spring and caught a lot of really big fish and then shut off for for like, I'd say from pretty much like the beginning of July to like maybe the end of July. I didn't catch much there. And then it heated up in August. I started to catch a lot of really large fish there. But at the beginning, I was fishing with a bucktail uh, in the spring, which is when it's stormy out, it's one of my favorite lures for the springtime because... Uh, it does have uh, the ability to catch a giant fish. Like big fish will eat bu small bucktails, but you can catch a lot of schoolies and it's a single hook. You don't have to deal with trebles. Obviously, if I can fish topwater, I'm going to be fishing topwater because that's my favorite like way to fish for striped bass. But if I'm not fishing topwater um, and I'm not targeting giant fish, then I'll throw a bucktail. So... Um, and not saying that bucktails don't catch giant fish because they do, but it's just not my first plug into my bag if I want to catch a giant fish. So, especially when it's not like stormy. Um, so I was casting into, so the, there was kind of a little bit higher boulders, which was making these waves kind of rise up and crash. And then there was like a roll of white water and then they would die off. And right where the waves were crashing, there was a trough. It was probably about, I'd say maybe about eight, eight to 10 foot drop off in that spot and I'd throw the bucktail out there and literally I'd let the wave crash, throw the bucktail out. It would sink down into the water and I wouldn't even reel. I just let it sink down. Then I feel that tap of the bass hitting it and then a hook set. And I l caught so many fish in an hour. I had so many fish. I'd almost, I don't know. I had like 30 fish in an hour. I mean, it was literally every cast and I was not very far away from me and I was casting the thing out, not even reeling, let it sink, boom, hooks at every single cast. And then the bike just died immediately once the tide got down to a certain level because it was a um, it was a falling tide. So uh, it, it the rocks were getting more and more exposed and the place where the bass were sitting was getting shallower and shallower. And so they eventually didn't sit in that area. But I was catching a lot of fish in that spot with that bucktail and um i wrote down my log 
this is where it is. And I have an online log where I literally go to Google Earth. God help me if anybody ever hacks my computer for these logs because you'll have the exact data point of where I'm catching these fish. Because I'll go to Google Earth, I'll take a screenshot, I'll circle the exact body, like I'll circle where I was standing, where I was casting to and where the fish were hitting in my retrieve, uh, what lure I was using. Um, and I have that screenshot from Google Earth and with a little circle of where the bass were hitting. And so I can go back to the dates of when that was actually going down and I can see exactly when the bass were hitting the plug or exactly where in the water, where in my retrieve, the bass were hitting the plugs. So, uh, and later in the year, um, and so they're hitting it right off of those, that, uh, pile of rocks that just rose up a little bit. Um, and that's a pretty common, uh, occurrence for, uh, Cape Ann as far as having like where you have a little bit of rock where the waves rise up and crash and then the, there's a little trough that um, is below that spot and then the fish the fish will sit right below that. It's the same concept as fishing a sandbar, except it's more hard structure, so it kind of it will produce better year after year, even if there are massive storms. It won't erode sandbars and like screw everything up because I've had that happen to me in a productive spot and then it's completely screwed me up. Um, and I've had a horrible season just because the sand was, there's so much more sand in that one area that it was like an 18 foot, like push of sand in one spot. So it was so much shallower in that area and it didn't produce as well as it did the year before. Whereas hard structure will not get pushed around by big waves. Although I've seen like multiple ton boulders get moved 15 feet by waves. So it's truly extraordinary when you get like 25 foot waves crashing on giant boulders that it can move these huge, huge boulders. Um, and that's like, that's extraordinary the amount of power that the water actually has. But yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy to see like boulders, the size of sofas getting moved like 15 feet. Um, <laughs> which is really cool. But, uh, the bass will be sitting on these, these troughs. So that's what I had in mind. And I knew this, um, and it was a new moon. Um, I was fishing a shad stick or a shad swimmer. I mean, uh, was a bunker colored shad swimmer. And, uh, I cast, I cast the bunker, the bunker, um, shad swimmer out. And I thought I cast, I like cast it. So the thing is with the, the shad swimmers it can dig down and hit the, the boulders and I was worried that it was going to get stuck on the, the rock and so I was casting a little bit short I wasn't getting anything I was getting like a few schoolies but I wasn't getting anything big and then I cast like right I like casted too far uh I th thought I was over the boulder so I was kind of reeling it trying to pretty fast with my rod tip at a high angle and all of a sudden my plug just stopped and then it just takes off and gets me around those rocks that it was over and I loosen my drag up because I'm fishing 50 pound braid. Um, I feel the heart wrenching feeling of having your line just scrape across a rock. Um, and the bass is just going and going and going and I'm like, Oh my God. Cause I had super light drag, like maybe five to 10 pounds of pressure on the fish. And, um, 
I was like, yeah, there's no way I landed this fish. And it was one of the first bigger fish I got of the season. Uh, and I was like, there's no way I'm landing this fish. Uh, there's just no way because the, the fish was just, just getting me right into the rocks. And I was just, I had, um, yeah, I had 50 pound fluorocarbon leader at that point on as well. So I was fishing heavy, heavier gear. Um, clearly I was fishing gear that I knew would be able to withstand that because that's like what happens a lot of the time you'll be casting very close to these rocks. This is the hard part about surf casting is instead of pulling this fish out of the structure, like you do from a boat, you're actually pulling the fish into the structure. So it can be, it's makes it a lot more, you have to fish a lot heavier gear when you're fishing from shore than from a boat. And it adds that extra, like, uh, you know, it's a lot more difficult to land a really big fish in a boulder field than it is to land a really big fish in a boulder field from a boat because you're really, you're pulling it up and out of the structure versus across a bunch of structure. Just it makes the landing it way, 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 way more difficult. So when the fish got me um, out and around this boulder, it probably took me 15 yards. Um, if you can imagine like a cylindrical... Uh, like uh, a long stretch of like rock with some line over the middle of it and probably going to the right 15 yards and then kind of and then it was going out straight from there so it was pretty much wrapped around the whole rock and um i was standing with, up on the rock with the rod above my head as high as i could i was had my arm fully extended with the rod in my hand reaching it up and it was like a 10 foot rod too so it's not like um fishing with a small rod so the, the line was at as high of an angle as possible this is a little trick for you if you ever have a fish do this to you and i had the, the thing raised up all the way i was i as far as high as i could so i could hopefully get the angle up as best that i could and i had my drag loose so pretty much all i, all I was banking on is the fact that i had hooks with barbs and that i had treble hooks and that hopefully that would hold the um the fish because if I didn't have a good hook set, I wasn't adding a lot. I had a pretty good hook set, but I didn't have, um, I wasn't putting a lot of pressure on it. So if it was barbless at this time, and I have talked about um, maybe trying to switch to barbless for most of my fishing this season, is trying to switch it more to barbless. I am going to do um, pretty much the entirety of spring until I know that there's some really big fish around. I'm going to fish most of spring barbless. Uh, just for the health of the fish and like the health of me if I get hooked as well. Um, and so that's one flaw as far as fishing barbless versus I guess a pro of fishing with a barb is if you're hooked into a really big fish and it takes you out around this rock, you gotta you gotta be um, make sure that you're not gonna, you know, the fish could shake, um, swim back towards you, your line could flip up and over the rock and uh, add a little uh, slack in your line, the bass could shake the plug right then. So what happened with me is the fish was out around this rock, it was taking line, um, I had it really high, uh, it kind of started to straighten out, I could feel the line straightening out, uh, it wasn't kind of as far off to the right, um, at least this is what I believe was going on. And then um, I started slowly gaining some line on this fish, because I was like, this at this point I was fighting the fish for, for probably a little over five minutes uh, of this fish just straight running. Um, and 
really surprisingly, I or I guess not really that surprisingly, because it it's pretty crazy but and awesome at the same time. My braided line when I got it back was not uh, scuffed up whatsoever. Um, so that just shows you if you loosen up on braided line, I mean you know how hard it is to cut braided line with uh, no tension. When there's no tension on the braided line, it's not going to fray that easy. So um, that's a good part about braided line. You just got to be very ready that when you feel your line scraping along the rock to loosen up quick because you might have a split second to loosen up before that fish takes you really into the rock and you can get snapped off uh, pretty quick. So uh, the fish was taking off. I started to, it was getting tired because the drag from the line scraping against the rock was creating enough drag that it was tiring out the fish. Um, and then I started to gain some line on the bass. Uh, and then I felt the line kind of get off the rock. So I knew it was about at the rock or maybe a little bit over the rock at that point. Um, and then I tightened up a little bit and then I started to pull the fish. And at this time the fish was very tired and it was like at the surface, just doing short, like few kicks, head shakes, you know, doing a little short runs. A lot of this stuff was on the surface. So I could pretty much see the fish and see how big it was at that time. And then I was able to bring it into the rocks and uh, land it. And it turned out that that fish was a 35-pound bass. Um, but it hooked up right at the edge of the rocks. Um, so that shows you that even those schoolie-sized fish in the early spring uh, were in a spot that was productive for a humongous, humongous fish. Uh, and that's... Um, so that's one part I wanted to touch on is when you're fishing for, you know, trying to, when you're trying to like rule out a spot or rule a spot in is number one, you want to just see if there's consistent action there uh, during a specific tide. And then once you figure out what tide is the best, then what you want to do is you want to figure out um, what time of day is the best. Most of the time it's at night. So you want to fish at night in that spot. Um, trying to sling plugs in there. Sometimes you can only get like a pencil in there, so it's more of a daytime spot. Um, and there's, oh my gosh, I have spots that if I could fish at night, like, because it's hard to throw anything but a pencil as far as you can throw a pencil. But if I could drift an eel into a few of my spots that I have that are pencil popping spots, oh man, I guarantee you that there'd be some incredible fish getting pulled from there. Um... So being able to figure out if there, there's consistent action in that spot is super important, really the number one thing. Um, and then, and that's just by putting in an incredible amount of time. Uh, and when I talk about incredible amount of time, I'm literally talking about fishing it when it's sunny out and clear, fishing it when it's cloudy, fishing when it's raining and cloudy, you know, and then fishing it when it's, you know, at night, um, with all the same conditions and just doing that for every single tide. So if you can, and th this takes a whole, like pretty much a whole season to do or half a season to figure a spot out completely. And I wouldn't waste a whole lot of time on a spot that you're catching very few fish at in general. If you're getting not a lot of action in that spot, it's very hard to say that there's going to be big fish there um, at night. Or like, or big fish there, um, in like in general. If you're not getting a lot of action, unless you've caught a really big fish there before, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to repeat that and catch a really big fish um, without being able to. 
I don't even know. Just being able to like, because I mean, there it's just so difficult to keep, um, to keep motivated to fish a spot that's not producing fish in general, and then on that hope that oh, there's gonna be like a twenty five pound bass or like a forty inch bass there or whatever. But uh, which is really, really the like difficult thing because I'm sure there's spots that only hold super large giant you know fish in there but and don't hold any schoolies whether that be because the conditions are so uh intense whether that be current or waves or whatever that only the big fish can be in that spot in that the bait gets pushed in there heavy and the only fish that are in that spot is giant fish which doesn't generally happen because wherever a giant fish is there's gonna be a handful of schoolies um but not all the time are you catching schoolies in that spot there are times where it's only large fish and there are times that it's only small fish it just depends on where and when you're fishing and how the bite is that day uh and for me like trying to find a spot that's consistent action is step number one um you know this brings me to a story that uh i fished a spot just out of ease of being able to catch fish there consistently and it was close to my home and I didn't really have to work to get there and I could catch a handful of schoolies there. And then I, of course, hooked my 30 pound fish there and spent the next se- like two seasons fishing in that spot super, super hard and not catching anything over 30 inches out of it. So that's a very, and at the same time, I haven't revisited, re- really revisited that spot in the entire like the entirety of this season uh just because i got smarter between the seasons where i was catching i was fishing that heavy and not catching anything and then um in this season just because i knew that i wasted my life in that spot i knew that uh if i spent a whole season there grinding i wasn't going to catch any big fish there although now that i'm a little bit smarter there are different tactics that i would like to use in that spot and maybe there i could do a repeat on that big fish someday in that very spot. But um, there's just a lot of conditions that I would have to take into factor. And I also have spots in that same area that I think are more productive. So uh, if I was to go in that area, I would fish another spot. It would just be more of a like personal mission to go there and see if I can catch a fish. But I would have to use a, like, a moon phase where I would rather be fishing a different spot and a tide that I'd rather be fishing a different spot with the same or similar conditions um, because I know that that other spots would be more productive and I know that there would be like huge 30, 40 pound bass in the other spots where I may or may not catch a bass that's 30 or 40 pounds in that spot. So um, that's the thing with fishing structure. I'm just trying to read this thing. It's really small. Um, And a very, very important thing that I've said in multiple times is Keep a fairly, I mean, it doesn't have to be fairly like strict. I'm talking just like, uh, well, keep a fishing log, but it doesn't have to be super strict. It can be moon phase, tide, um, and wind. And it's really all you need uh, if you want to just go basic. But then you can get really into it and do like barometric pressure, water temp, air temp, uh, whatever, humidity. I don't even know. But you can do a lot of different stuff that might factor into creating an even better bite or it might not so and i think that those three you know moon phase um uh wind direction 
and Tide really are the, the big three that you need to like help key in a spot. Um, and that's what I'd focus in on, especially if you're starting, just starting out doing it. It's kind of, um, it's a lot to try to put a huge amount of, um, uh, information into a, a fishing log and then being able to see exactly what, uh, works. It's just a lot easier when you have a lot less to look at. And then what I like to do is write what the wind water temp or the wind or moon phase and whatever and then i'll do like a little note at the bottom just of like what i was doing what my thoughts were what i saw that day some days there's a lot of birds some days there's not a lot of birds you know uh seaweed um i always like to put in like the clarity of the water whether it be like super like there's a lot of like particles in the water um or it being super clear and um you know it, it, that can definitely affect the bite of when like the wind is blowing from different directions when it's blowing offshore the water's generally clear than when it's blowing onshore but when it's blowing onshore there's more little bait that's getting stirred up for a little bit bigger fish to eat for a little bit bigger fish to eat for the striped bass to eat so it it's like a food chain that uh occurs that helps the striped bass uh start feeding in that spot um and then as i said um focus on the the best tides and the best moon phases to produce the the best fishing um and as i in it's super like once you figure that out so there's one spot that i just started fishing this year that produced pretty well for me in the spring um as i said this is the same spot it produced well for me in the spring up to about july and then it dropped off and then i started catching a lot of really big fish pretty much like at the end of July, early August, I started catching a lot of really big fish really consistently. But that took me pretty much from May to, I would literally say August, to figure out one spot. Um, and that's like a spot that I know that if there's certain conditions, I can guarantee, I can guarantee that if I go there, throw something here, I can guarantee I'm catching a bass that is huge. Um, whether that be, or at least having a good night, like I, whether that be a handful of bass over 35 inches or one fish that's 45 inches. So it just, it just depends on like, I guess the fish that are in the water, but a lot of the time there are huge fish in spots very regularly because they know that if they, cause pretty much. I don't know how smart the fish are and it would be cool to have someone, I know that people put tags in striped bass and can see the satellite video of where they're going, but I'd be interested to see if bass revisit the same spots during the same tides. And I think that they must do so because they can't just be swimming along and then just be like, okay, there's current here. So I'm going to be catching, like there's going to be bait coming this way. This is not what they're really thinking. Although the older the fish gets, the bigger the fish gets, the better it will probably be at, like, like because it got that big, the better it would be at sitting in um, good uh, productive um, bait areas to maximize their amount of food intake to energy um, expend, like how much energy they expend. So that's something that uh, I, I think would be pretty cool and interesting to see 
if I like, I got to do some more research into it because I know there are people that have GPS on the striped bass, but I wonder if somebody's actually looked down to that short of amount of time and seen if a bass within a week time, like within like a few days, like we'll say a week, if a bass in seven days will travel to eight spots in a five mile area, like for a handful of times or if they spend all summer there like i don't really know like i saw one thing online where the bass really traveled a long long way and spent a lot of time moving across the coast Um, but that was over an entire year worth of time so i guess i guess that like maybe it stayed in certain areas for longer because i think that's what i saw that it stayed out around an island for a little while longer than like anywhere else but i wonder if around that island it was in the same spots even though i think that that was much deeper water so it would be you'd have to find very specific striped bass that like is in close preying on fish that are right up next to the uh shore and it's like pushing the bait up um up near shore and that's where it's like feeding and that's where it's mostly feeding and that's that would be interesting to see if there are fish that will come back to recurring spots but if that isn't the case that means that there are multiple fish of very large sizes that will come in and feed in the same area it's very interesting i caught and i think in one moon phase i caught six fish all on different days and they're all 48 inches but i have pictures of each one of the fish uh that i caught in that spot that, uh, on that moon phase and they all had different like patterns like if you look at the stripes of the bass they had different um alignment of uh stripes on them so like i knew they're different fish but they're all cookie cutter 48 inch bass now that's very interesting to me because i wonder if you took a bird's eye view and or drained the ocean and were able to look out in that area how many bass of that 48 inch slot i would say i'm calling it slot just because they're i caught three different bass that were all 48 inches or like within an inch of each other like why there are so many bass of that exact size in that exact area. Now I know that happens a lot with bass of smaller sizes schooling together with similar sized fish, but whether there was a lot of really large fish in that same area, um, which is kind of cool and is kind of a testament to where I fish being Cape Ann having very healthy ecosystem and producing a lot of really large fish, uh, for a lot of people and having so like such varied uh terrain like we have everything from estuaries to sand beaches back bays um rocky coast we pretty much have every structure you'd ever want to fish for a striped bass in um pretty much like uh that's i mean the the bass are just it's interesting in you know a 15 mile area or i guess i i just call it within like a 25 minute drive in if you drop me in the middle of cape ann put me in 25 minute drive of everywhere in cape ann let's just say it's 25 minutes it's probably less but um you can touch and fish so many different um uh, environments and that there is the same species adapting to target their prey items in these different areas is very cool that uh, striped bass can actually uh, adapt in that way that they can uh, fish that that they can hunt fish 
in so many, and not even fish, but they can hunt their food in so many different ways. I mean, they can be, you know, rooting around like bonefish on like sandy beaches in six inches of water. I've seen, I, I've fished for bonefish before and I see these schools of bonefish in like six inches of water tailing out of the water. And then I've been places where I'm fishing for striped bass in six inches of water and there's current moving pretty fast and there's hundreds of schooly striped bass in six inches of water, not really tailing, but just under the surface. And the only thing that I could really describe it as what it looked like, it looked like bonefish on the flats. They weren't big, they're all like 25 inches, but they, but it was just so many of them. Uh, it was really cool to see see them do that. And I also know that they're super deep and I don't fish from a boat. So I haven't ever really gotten the ability or the experience to catch a striped bass in super deep water. Um, I'm, you can, I mean, you can jig for striped bass. Uh, I'm not very, like, I don't know a lot about it, but I know that people drop like diamond jigs and stuff down, um, super, super deep and will jig striped bass up from super deep down in the water. Like, uh, I don't know, there's like, it's a very interesting species, uh, that can be targeted a lot of different ways, but, uh, it, it is probably from shore, at least one of the most difficult fish to catch a large one of from shore. I mean, it's gotta be, there's gotta, there can't really like, I'm thinking I'm, you, I try to think of like other species that are quote unquote, like a game fish in the sense, like you people try to just target them for fun and how difficult it is to catch one of, of like a 48 inch caliber size from shore. Um, there's not a, like the people have done it. Uh, you know, it's, it's really extraordinary to catch something like that because a lot of the time it's, it's in unfavorable conditions for the fishermen to hook and land. Um, and you know, whether that be structure whether that be pitch black at night, but um, once you really get get it down and you can kind of get down a few spots, and as I've said, is try to figure out your spots based on different winds. I'm fortunate enough to be on a point that really you can cover almost all your bases with winds. I can kind of situate myself in Cape Ann to fish every single wind direction. Um, and so if I can figure out, and this is going to be my goal for next season is to figure out a spot for every single wind and not just one spot for every single wind, but multiple spots for every single wind that produce as like equal across the board. If I could do that, then my goal is done. There's no way I'm going to be able to do that in one season. Um, I know that maybe I can get one or two in one season buttoned down pretty good, but that's going to take a lot of work to do, uh, to figure out new spots and, I will, hopefully you guys can see some of my uh, videos I'm going to be taking uh, on the YouTube channel that I'm posting these podcasts. We're going to have a semi-show that's going to be going on where I do some fishing and uh, I do mostly fishing for striped bass and I'll fish a lot in Cape Ann, but I'm going to do a little bit of traveling up and down the coast, doing some different traveling as far as uh, our different fishing for some different locations. Um without any intel, just like going for it from my own like knowledge from Google Earth and seeing if I can pull some larger fish from random areas. Um, so that should be uh, a fun, a fun little, a fun few missions that we do then. Uh, and uh, if you guys haven't already, if you're listening to this on 
like Spotify, Apple Podcast, or whatever. Um, go to go to my uh, YouTube channel, Stripe Bass Hunt, and uh, please subscribe because the content, as far as the uh, podcasts go, is not going to be the only thing that we're going to have. Uh, we're going to also be having a lot of content uh, through videos of whether that be instructional videos on how to use different plugs, um, as well as just, uh, like kind of like reviews, um, and tackle that I use. Um, and so that should be pretty cool. So I'm going to get into some, some comments. Uh, these, this is actually from the last podcast I did. Um, uh, and, so I have a few comments uh, that people did on my Instagram because I'll put up a story. Uh, please feel free to DM me. Like um, this person did that helped uh, spark this conversation, this podcast, uh, and I'll I'll be able to answer those questions um, on the podcast if you want me to, or if you want me to just answer them via DMing. Uh, I can I can just go way more in depth with the podcast. So. It's a lot easier for me. Um, so this person asks, uh, when is the, uh, yeah, when is top water most effective? So uh, top water is most effective during the day um, and even more so in the early morning and uh, in the evening, uh, I find is the best time to fish top water. You can also, the, a, like the best, best time to fish top water is if you're fishing it in a blitz. So when the bass are pushing bait up to the surface, especially uh, white bait like peanut bunker or mackerel, um, and you can throw a pencil or a spook style plug on the surface of the water, uh, there's no greater way to catch a striped bass in general and also to catch a really big striped bass. Although on one of my podcasts, Fishing for Finicky Striped Bass, which was the last podcast, um, you can also catch... uh, uh, striped bass that are not being very aggressive with topwater plugs much easier. So well, I like to fish plugs like the best times the the best time to fish topwater plugs is really in the like morning uh, to the evening, uh, and you can fish them in so many different scenarios and there's so many different types of it. You can I mean there's spooks, there's like uh, just popping like uh, chugging popping topwaters. There's walking topwaters, um, and they're in. They're all the most spectacular ways. There's even Danny plugs, which I would kind of do like a subsurface surface plug as well. Um, and so all of those plugs are fantastic to fish on the surface. But the best time to fish them is uh, in the morning or in the evening. Uh, I don't like fishing topwater at night. The furthest I'll go as far as fishing topwater is a needlefish. Um, at night in in like a Danny plug just because they're slower moving and they're not as uh, aggressive so the bass don't lose as because it's it, they are such such good predators that they can hit topwater plugs in the middle of the night and that's a given like I know for a fact that these bass can hit a pencil popper working it extremely hard on a new moon when it's at its darkest with fog and everything the bass can still come up and hit a, a pencil but it's not as likely to do that as it is another plug. So I don't prefer to fish them at night, even though you can. You can definitely fish them like when it just starts to get bright out. Uh, sometimes that's a great time to fish uh, the top water. I also really like to fish top water plugs when it's cloudy out. 
uh, when it's cloudy out, it actually prolongs your ability to throw topwater plugs, and uh, it actually I think it just makes it for a, like a really good day because it tends to, especially if you throw pencils and spooks in bigger ones uh, for that matter, it can pull the larger fish. So you don't really have to necessarily be throwing a giant pencil, but it could still produce a really big fish. Um, there's one story that I, I um, have that I was fishing with a very small pencil. I, turned, I told this a thousand times, but I'll tell it again. I was fishing with a small pencil and um, I was catching a bunch of schoolies. It was like a good wind and it was in a like a good spot. And I swam out to this boulder and I was working this pencil and I see this huge swirl behind my plug and I didn't really think it was going to be that big of a fish. I thought it was just going to be a... Um, I thought it was actually a rock that the water like was rushing by, but then all of a sudden the water just erupted and I hooked into a huge, probably, I wouldn't say it was any bigger than 45 inches, but it was definitely over 40 inches. So, and the fish took off, tore off line, um, and then it eventually snapped me off. Um, and I don't really know why. I think it was just due to line failure. And it was the last time I fished 50 pound test anything, but it was monofilament. So especially monofilament, I don't fish anymore. I fish fluorocarbon because I think it's a little bit, uh, it's not, it doesn't have as much give to it and it's a little, I don't know, it's a little stiffer and stronger in my opinion, but uh, the line just, it just depends on what line you're using. But yeah, that happened and it sucked, but it shows you that a small pencil that's only, I don't know, it was probably five inch pencil popper, a 40 inch bass can inhale. So that's the good thing about pencils is they're always a great way or really any topwater plug, they're always a great great way to call those bigger fish out of small fish like school, even though catching a small fish on topwater is still awesome because they throw themselves at the plugs and it's so cool and they hit it because that like that just it's like the ultimate experience in my mind. Cause my favorite part of like the entire fight, unless it's a really big fish, especially if it's a schoolie, my favorite part of the entire fight is that initial hookup. Um because that's when the bass is like at its strongest when it's a schoolie. But then if it's that full thing when you hook up, bass is not really pulling if it's really big. And then it just goes when it's a huge fish. Um, that's also, it's just so awesome. So that's really cool. Okay, so next question. Um, uh, what's the perfect lure for a wicked hot day when the bass aren't as aggressive? So I kind of went over that as far as pencil poppers go. Uh, they're kind of my go-to when it's really um, not the greatest conditions. But when the bass are being finicky and they're not willing to go and hit a pencil just because they're being spooky and stuff, I really like to throw a spook-style plug. So Puma Plugs has a Magnum Walker, which is by far the best spook-style plug I've ever used just because it has, number one, the best casting distance I've ever used, and number two, it doesn't dive under the surface like a lot of other plugs do. Uh, I've tested trying to rip it under the surface and it's quite difficult to on purpose rip it under the surface because a lot of the time when the bass is swirling on the plug and you're you're freaking out and you're trying to speed up the plug to make it look like the fish is trying to get away, sometimes if you have a not so good uh, walking style plug, it will dive under the surface, which you don't really want happening when you have a giant experienced fish chasing your plug because sometimes when they see the plug under the water, they know it's not a fish and they'll just stop 
going after it. So it uh, can really make or break a, a, a moment in when you're fishing when the bass uh, will just – well, if the plug dives under the surface, it really makes makes or breaks the fishing uh, for that day because uh, the bass, as I've said, I've had that happen to me where I have these huge swirling going on behind my plug and the bass and the plug just dives under the surface and the bass bails, um, which sucks because uh, it's difficult enough to even get that bass to be interested in your plug and then have that happen where you're trying to work it and the thing's just following it for like, eight yards, 10 yards, and the bass is just swirling right behind the plug. And then you try to do something like rip it a little bit faster or work it, stop it, slow it down, whatever, um, just to change it up a bit. And the bass uh, and the plug dives into the water and the bass sees the plug and is not interested in it anymore. But if it's a really good spook, I it's very difficult for that fish to not hit it because it has that such that slow lackadaisical walking motion across the surface that the bass that drives the fish crazy and then when it starts to get into more shallow water or closer to structure where you're standing the bass feels like the bait is going to get away from it and then that will also provoke the strike so a lot of the time when you're fishing this plug in you don't want to just give up on the fact that if the bass is not hitting the plug and reeling in really quick uh although sometimes when you reel in the plug really quick i've seen it with um other like swimming plugs that I've thought I had seaweed on a darter once and I reeled it in really, really quick and it actually started skipping across the surface and I had a huge 35-pound bass start jumping out of the water after it and I stopped the plug and it smashed it on the surface. So um, when you're fishing like in those scenarios, that's when, uh, you know, top water is definitely the way to go. Uh, hot day, uh, it's very difficult to pull big fish, but that's definitely a good plug to pull big fish with. Um, and I, I mean, I went, I did that whole podcast and if they listen to that, there's some other plugs I mentioned that are really good. So anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. Um, this was, a, and also thanks for the person that DM me. You should, you know who you are and, uh, I will see you guys next time.